Hey everyone, my name is Christopher Price. Welcome back to Brass Bonanza, a Whalers podcast dedicated to keeping the memory of our favorite hockey team alive right here on the Believe Podcast Network. Let me ask you guys a trivia question. Who is third overall on the list of most games played in Whalers history? The first two, honestly, pretty easy. Ron Francis and Kevin Deneen, right? Third place, maybe Ulf Samuelson, Dave Tippett, Ray Ferraro, Mike Leute. It's actually Adam Burt. Burt was drafted in 1987 and he was with the franchise until the team moved to Carolina after the 1997 season. There's no denying he was one of the guys who was asked to do a lot of the dirty work on the ice throughout the late 80s and into the 1990s. He's a fascinating guy with a lot of great stories about playing for the Whalers during a key stretch in franchise history. He also shares with me his unique post-playing career arc, maybe the most unique out of anyone we've had on this podcast. But first, want to let you guys know this episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports information. Find all of the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the NBA and NHL playoffs, Major League Baseball fights, and even next season's NFL futures. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so head over to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code BLEAVE to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. Now let's get to our conversation with Adam Burt. Adam, you were drafted by the Whalers in 1987. You came up for the 1988-89 campaign, and you got your first taste of NHL life that season. What do you remember most about those first few days in the league with Hartford? Um, yeah, well, uh, Chris, I, I think the, the big thing was is when, you know, you hit the ice with these people that you just, you know, admired and, you know, you're, you're pretending to be them, you know, playing street hockey or, or whatever. And then suddenly you're on the ice with them uh, side by side. And I do remember just having this epiphany where it was kind of like, I was like, Hey man, I I can play with these guys. I I can play with them. And so it was, it was kind of like a surreal uh, kind of like, Hey, all right, this, this thing that I've been dreaming about doing my whole life, it's, uh, uh, I think it's going to happen. It's going to happen. So, uh, yeah, we had some great, great uh, leaders. It's funny, even at the time, I think early on in my career, we was just didn't even realize which, uh, what, you know, great uh, leadership was was all around me at the time. Speaking of leadership, we've talked about this before, previous to this conversation. Ron Francis, uh, someone who had an impact, obviously a very clear impact on the ice. But tell me a little bit about what it was like off the ice when it came to Ron Francis's overall leadership skills? Yeah, well, and Chris, I can't remember if we we had covered this before, but uh, I remember, so it was, it was uh, my rookie season and uh, we went to play our arch nemesis, Boston. And so we went over there at the Long Wharf Marriott. And, and so, you know, I get up and I'm, I come down in sweatpants, a t-shirt, maybe a backwards hat and come down, I'm going to grab breakfast. And I'm waiting to be seated and, and Ronnie comes over. He looks at me. He's like, he's like, what are you wearing? <laughs> and I'm like, clothes, man. And he's like, he goes, get back up there, put your suit on and, and, uh, and go to, he's like, he's like, but, but in that moment, you know, now in retrospect, you look back and I was so grateful for it because he was, he was teaching me how to be a pro. Uh, and if there's anything that epitomizes Ron Francis's leadership is he was the consummate pro, no matter what he did uh, from being, you know, on the ice to being, a, you know, community relationships, whatever he did, man, he just did with such uh, professionalism and excellence. 
it was clear relatively early on, at least in my experience, you are going to be the team's enforcer. I know you piled up a lot of penalty minutes before you got to the NHL, but what is that evolution like? When you got to Hartford, did they sit you down and say, look, get ready for this because this is where we're going to need you? So, so, so Chris, and then, man, you can, you can do what you want with us, but uh, let's, I need to kind of reframe something that you said. So I was a willing participant. <laughs> I wasn't very good at it. So uh, I, I actually, they have a website out there that I guess does NHL fights or whatever. And it said I had like 95 fights in my career and it said I won five of them. So, uh, so I think we agree. I was a willing participant, but dang, I wasn't very good at it. Uh, but uh, yeah, and I got a few metal plates in my face and screws and that'll attest to that. <laughs> did did you have a favorite guy over the course of your career as a quote-unquote counterpoint a favorite guy to fight I, I know that I imagine you went round and round with Cam Neely on a couple of occasions but was there another guy out there who you I don't want to say enjoyed fighting but became familiar with him um man Chris that, no one's ever asked me that question before because my mind immediately went to Cam because um we were uh we were <laughs> we were in Boston playing and and we fought three times in one game no matter how many times these teams play, Derek, Adam Burt always ends up upsetting Cam Neely somehow. Well, Adam Burt's a tough customer. He comes to play hard. Cam Neely knows that Cam Neely's not going to take any of his nonsense. Adam Burt's a big, tough kid. And it was it was kind of ironic because uh, he was picking on one of our players, Jeff Sanderson. And so I just, you know, stepped in and we dropped the gloves. And, and Cam's way tougher than me. But I, I, I hit him. I dotted his eye. And so... Uh, so then, and it was right by our bench. And then all the, the uh, our teammates, and in, in particularly uh, Skip Cunningham, to the trainer, he's like, he killed you, Cam, you stink, Bert killed you. And I'm like, guys, <laughs> shut up. And because uh, you're making him mad. And then sure enough, next period, he comes out, he, he wants to fight again. And then it was, you know, it, it was, a, and then he, he did it a third time because it was kind of like, man, he wasn't going to stop until he got the, the better of me. <laughs> So it was like, oh, you got me, Cam, you know, and then kind of let's let's be done with this. But uh, yeah, sorry, I wish there was there was uh, more people that came came to mind. But uh, yeah, I, my, my position was this, Chris, is I always wanted to fight the tough, toughest guy I could just because you, you just win points by showing up. And mm -hmm. so I think early on in uh, my first training camp, I remember the first exhibition game, they told us before the game, they said, hey, don't fight this guy, Alan May, whatever you do, he's just kind of like a tough guy a fighter just stay away from him let him sleep and I, you know I was the idiot that fought him you know my you know my first exhibition game or whatever doing it so uh, maybe that would be something that kind of would mark my career it's a unique fraternity to be a part of because in my experience having covered sports and having talked to a lot of hockey players for this book you guys are a lot of times the most straightforward guys and I don't know if it's because you have the least amount to lose I don't know if it's something in the DNA but the guys who are the tough guys, the guys who are the fighters, the guys who are the enforcers often are, are the most revealing when it comes to these interviews. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I, and I'll add this too, Chris. And once again, I am not including myself in NHL tough guys, but being a, a participant. But I, I will say this is just uh, the, the tough guys. They, they were the best, the greatest characters. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think in the guys, you know, like, like, like Stu Grimson and uh, Tori Robertson we had and then we you know just uh, all throughout the years and it's funny they always have the, the greatest sense of humor 
Um, they're the nicest guys off the ice. You would never guess that, you know, they were kind of pugilists, you know, out there. Uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, can't say enough about them, but it's got to be a unique individual uh, because before every game, you have to look at the other opposing team's tough guy. And you're like, oh, I'm going to have to fight him tonight. And it, it, uh, it definitely can be, you know, wearing and, and taxing on those guys. So uh, really, uh, they're just uh, really courageous. How tough was it to be there and see things kind of backslide a little bit? When you got there, 88, 89, this franchise was still, in a lot of ways, a perennial playoff team. And again, you know, you had Ronnie Francis, you had Kevin Deneen, you had a lot of foundational guys who appeared capable of taking a team into the playoffs, putting together a successful regular season, enjoying a lot of success, really overall from year to year. With the trade of Ronnie, things kind of felt like they started to backslide a little bit. How tough was that? How, how difficult was it to see the team struggle in a lot of aspects of the game throughout the early 1990s? Yeah, it was. Well, and then, Chris, you could draw the line directly to when they drafted me, it started going downhill. But so uh, it was um, uh, but, but definitely, I think anybody to objectively look back at our organization would point back to that trade and say it was it was something that, you know, we may or may not have ever recovered from. And uh, so I and I, you know, the guys that came over, they become great friends, you know, Zarley Zalapsky and, and John Cullen and whatnot. But I even think at the time I was so, so young and green, I kind of even didn't realize the, the tremendous impact that those guys had both uh, on and off the ice. So uh, I think I'd agree with you. We'd have to point back to that was, that could have been the beginning of the end uh, for our time in, in Hartford. Was John Cullen given an unfair rap because he was the guy who was asked to quote unquote, replace Ron Francis. And really now with the benefit of hindsight, we know no one really was capable of replacing Ron Francis, at least in that context. Oh yeah, absolutely. No doubt about it. You know, and he was thrust to uh, a position that, you know, by no doing of his own. And, and the one thing you can say about Cully is when he got on the ice, you know, he, he gave it his own. He was like a tough bugger, very skilled. And I, if, if he didn't have to compare it up to a hall of famer and Ron Francis, I think you could look at what he did and, and you'd say, man, that's a darn good player. So uh, yeah, he, he definitely got a difficult rap um, there. What was that last year like, particularly down the stretch? And how did that overall uncertainty about the future of the franchise, where you guys were moving, manifest itself on and off the ice? Yeah, I, I think it was it was just a, a lot of like uncertainty. No one knew what to expect. And I think as well, you uh, I got to admit for myself, you know, my wife and I, we, we grew up. Uh, you know, the Hartford Whalers, we were just, uh, we were married at 20, you know, moved out there, didn't, you know, know anybody or, and then we made these lifelong friends who we still have there. And then um, uh, the, I still can remember fondly just the the last game we had there and just, where you do take a moment and you just kind of drink it all in. And, um, you know, from the person that greets you at the, at the door before you enter the arena to, you know, the uh, annoying fan up in the, the corner, you know, suites or, or whatever. And I, I can remember even uh, doing the kind of the last skate around and just kind of drinking in uh, what a unique situation it is playing there at the mall and the brass bonanza and all those different things. It was, uh, it, it was actually good to be able to go, Hey, uh, you know, this is, this was, we were part of something unique here. It felt like talking to guys that there were two different groups who were you know, on, on, on that last team on that last in that last year, the people who had put down roots in the community, like yourself, people who'd been there for however many years, 10 years, a dozen years, 
And then there were guys who were kind of transitory figures who had been there for a year and just said, okay, well, look, I'm just going to go wherever, you know, wherever the team goes. And the guys in that first class had hit them a little bit harder than the second class. And that's not necessarily to say the guys in the second group, really that's a character flaw or anything, but it's just that that's, that's how these conversations have kind of developed to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, absolutely. We, like I said, we have, we've set down, uh, Roots there is, is uh, funny, Chris. We, my wife and I said, hey, we're not going to buy a house because if we buy a house, we'll get traded. <laughs> so we rented for like nine years in Hartford. And sure enough, the team moves to Carolina. We buy a house and I get traded. So, uh, but it was, um, like I said, we, I'm going to be actually heading back up sometime in July to do a, do a golf tournament up there. Some lifelong friends and still, uh, still have great, great memories of, of Hartford. It was, uh, it was great because it was, you know, it was, it was uh, a, a small town you know, that, that, uh, that you, you got to know people intimately. So you didn't get lost kind of in the shuffle and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, very fond memories of my time in Hartford. The sense of community though, I think is still what a lot of people reference. What was it for you that made it special as a player? Well, cause I, I, I guess, uh, like, a, a good portion of it would be, Hey, it's your, it's your first team, right? Kind of like your first love, your first step into the NHL. And so, uh, obviously, for that reason, personally, uh, Hartford meant a ton to me uh, and, and to my wife. And, you know, my, my daughters were born there and whatnot. So um, so so that was that was really important to us and, and really marked our time uh, there there with the organization. So, um, yeah. What is it about the Whalers that continues to endure? Is it the logo? Is it the song? Why does the franchise, even 25 years after they moved, continue to resonate with a lot of hockey people come on chris you know why because that is the coolest logo going right there <laughs> the old whale tail man it was uh it was it's it's iconic i still laugh every time you know uh, if i wear any paraphernalia or if someone see uh, i have some jerseys framed and how people like oh that was the coolest you know even to to this day so uh i, I think it's a it's hot selling commodity so nostalgia so, uh, yeah, that's what I got to say that that's what it was for me, man. Coolest, coolest uni. You have had maybe the most remarkable post playing career arc of anyone associated with the franchise, at least as far as I can tell. Explain to people the path you took after you left hockey. You played a couple of years after leaving. You, you moved with the team. I'll, let me explain. You moved with the team from Hartford to Carolina, played a couple of years after that. But you have taken a very unique career path once you left the game of hockey explain to people what you did and what you're continue to do and why yeah well uh thanks for the opportunity chris yeah so um uh you know i I became a you know a fairly uh devout christian you know at the age of like 12 years old and so my my christianity was was uh, always something that you know my teammates and everybody was aware of and so uh in fact uh one of the coaches, I, I, I won't, I won't out him, but I, I can still remember I was, uh, we were flying to, uh, to Minnesota. It was my, my, uh, well, I might out him if I do this, but it was my, my rookie season. And so I was down there and, and I, the coach called me into his, uh, a part, uh, to his, uh, hotel. He says, Hey, when we, when we land, I want you to come see me. And, uh, he was, uh, he was all over me. He's like, Hey, I don't want you to read the Bible, uh, on the plane. Cause you're, you're alienating yourself from your players, your teammates. And I just thought it was so bizarre because, Guys, back in that day, they were wearing different, uh, uh, reading different things. You know, the magazines that unfold, <laughs> you know, type thing, and, and yet the Bible was the problem. But anyways, um, and so uh, really, what happened? It was uh, it, it actually a, a lot of my life 
um, uh, went down this career path, if you will, uh, because of the move to Carolina. It was when the team relocated to Carolina, I, I met a, a pastor who became a lifelong kind of mentor and friend. It was there we, we developed a friendship and, and he actually just stayed connected to me when I got traded up to Philadelphia. But quite honestly, Chris, I thought when I retired, I, I was injured. Uh, I finished my career with the Atlanta Thrashers and I was injured for an entire uh, season and a half. And so I had time to do some color commentary. And I thought, oh, I'll just jump. I'll just jump into kind of doing some sports broadcasting or something uh, of that nature. And uh, but then uh, just uh, my mentor, uh, pastor friend, he just kept calling out kind of a, a destiny and a calling uh, on my life. So decided to after nine eleven to help him plant a church up in Manhattan. And, and uh, we've been uh, up here in uh, New York, New Jersey for uh, man the, the entire time since. It is. It's 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 a very unique path, and and given your overall career arc, what you where you started in the game of hockey, and you know the role that you played, I, I'm always fascinated by this, and, and I've asked football players this as well. How do you reconcile being a born again Christian or just being a Christian, a, a man of faith, with your endeavors in such a violent sport? Yeah. Well, uh, for me, the the Bible's clear, right? It's better to give than to receive. So uh, that's uh, that's definitely true when you're fighting on the ice. Um, but uh, but but really, there's been a, a, a verse in the scripture that it, it, it says this, whatever you do, you do it heartily for the Lord and not for men. And uh, I tried to uh, no matter what I do to have that be in the backdrop of my life. So whether that be on the ice, uh, hockey is is a physical sport and it's it's supposed to be. Uh and so, uh, man, I just I tried to do that as, as heartily as I could, and and never turned down a, a you know a battle, if you will. And so uh, that it, it actually aligns really quite well for me and, and my Christian faith. Now, um, I, I do say there's there's probably I can think of maybe one or two times where it's it's like I not only wanted to fight somebody, but I wanted to hurt somebody, <laughs> and uh, and I think that would be a little bit of a, a line to cross over, but. Um, and then you, you learn this, Chris, I probably could have mentioned it, it earlier, is it's funny, there, there is a bit of a code, you know, that, that you have that, um, you know, uh, we, I say it this way, it, it, it's, it's okay to not win a fight. It's not okay to not fight. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's something uh, that you, you win points with your teammates, knowing that uh, when push comes to shove, that you're going to be there, you, you got their back. And even if it's, it's not something you're, you're good at, as long as you're willing to do it, guys have respect for you and, and you and you're quote unquote in you're in the team last question for me when people talk about your time with the whalers when they ask you about your time in hartford what what are some of the things that continue to endure for you what are some of your favorite memories of playing there and, and what is really the legacy in you know in for lack of a better term of of that team and that franchise in that time yeah um i mean uh uh Chris, for me, the first thing would obviously be, you know, it's just uh, my family and, and friends. Both my daughters were born at uh, Hartford Hospital. And so, you know, those, those memories, you know, they were both kind of in season. So it was uh, nip or tuck. I remember just going to Hartford Hospital, being up all night. My, my, you know, my wife and I have our daughter and then jump on a plane to Dallas, you know, that that same, uh, you know, on an hour sleep and do that stuff. But um, so that part. And then it's funny in retrospect, when you look back you know, there's just certain, certain seasons and moments. And, and I think the thing that was so funny to me is, you know, we didn't, we, we didn't get to experience a lot of winning in my time when we were there. 
but there was just these uh, these the, the characters and, and the locker room that um, really you go back and, and to this day you just continue to laugh like I'm you know thinking about we got like a Pat Verbeek and then these odd things that shouldn't shouldn't jump in. I, I remember one game we were um, we were it, the, the locker room was tense before the game and it was it was it was just silent, eerily silent. And then we had Mikhail Anderson. Uh, you know, he's, he's speak predominantly Swedish, right? And he just mm-hmm. gets full of courage and he says, uh, it's okay, men. It's the calm before the weather. And we're like, no, I think you mean the calm before the storm. And so, but there's just these little silly moments, you know, where it just, it, it makes you laugh. And, and um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll always love it. And uh, st- still hoping that somehow, man, come on, but let's, let's, uh, let's bring the whale back. Bring the whale back, man. Would love it. Would love it. Fingers crossed, man. I, I don't know if it's ever going to happen. I think the first thing they need is a new building, and I don't know how financially viable that is. But uh, you, me, a lot of other folks out there are keeping our fingers crossed that that hockey will one day, professional hockey, the NHL, will one day return to Hartford. Adam, thank you so much for taking the time to do this today. Keeping the memory of our favorite hockey team alive. That's what we say here on the Brass Bonanza podcast. So thank you for doing your part, and hopefully we can hook it up again very, very soon. Great, Chris. Thanks for everything, bud.